1: This, this
0: is Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Good
1: Wednesday afternoon, it is Wednesday, right? I think I have my days together. Good Wednesday afternoon Sports Talk Mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm. Richard's off today. He is calling Monmouth in Kentucky basketball for television tonight. He will be back right here same time tomorrow. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you for a little bit, and then we will transition over to Brian Scott Rippey. Uh, Ole Miss had a press conference yesterday. On the surface, not a whole lot was said, but if you dig a little deeper and potentially read between some lines, maybe a whole lot was said. We'll dive into that and a whole lot more coming up right here on Sports Talk. And Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. And we welcome in Brian Haydad now, uh, who I don't think it's any surprise last night, but we were at the Connerly Trophy ceremony and, and you said yesterday it was a two-horse race and it turned out to be a, a consensus two-horse race, ultimately, that Jeffrey Simmons
0: won. First off, you are just assuming that I am here. You have not spoken to me until this moment. Could have I been heard anybody you. on this side of the line. My wife, my children. Somebody figured out how to work the, the system. I think I your know. family and I could have had a really fun show today. Well, I got one daughter here. She, she had to come home sick today. So, oh you know, no, she would have she would have enjoyed talking to you about <laughs> this. Uh, there, this would have been a great show about My Little Pony. Let me tell you. Uh, <clears throat> yes, two horse race, not baby shark. Uh. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that to, to be played, by the way. I sent you that, that file. Um, yeah, Sim- Simmons and, and A.J. Brown, can, for me, I mean, of that group, the top two players in the state, there's no real question about it. No, no disrespect to any of those other guys, all fine players, but they were the alpha dogs in that, in that class. And, and it could have gone either way. But I think, you know, Simmons, great season, uh, better team, won the Egg Bowl. Everything was sort of working in his favor to, to bring home the Connerly Trophy, in my opinion.
1: That's not turning into the Heisman Trophy where the best
0: player on the best team, right? I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, because it's so difficult for the the, the players outside of state and Ole Miss to win. And we talked about this yesterday off air. I think that you know somebody – a USM player can have a, a good season and win it. You know, somebody like Austin Davis, he doesn't have to put up ridiculous numbers. Just win a bunch – you know, win some games, put up good numbers, you got a chance – but for the Jackson States and the, and the Mississippi College, they're going to have to put up something ridiculous: five thousand passing yards, two thousand rushing yards, fifteen hundred, you know, eighteen hundred receiving yards, something like that, to really have a, a shot at it. So it, it does sort of sort of come down to the the top players on, at State and Ole Miss, and you know, throughout the process, it's sort of been that way. Uh, and I think n- not only so much, you know, better record, but I think the Egg Bowl plays a, a big role in it. You know, it goes back to two thousand twelve. Bo Wallace versus Jonathan Banks. I mean, Jonathan Banks won the Thorpe Award as the best defensive back in the country but couldn't win the Connerly Award because Bo Wallace had a big egg bowl and Jonathan Banks did not. And I think that was a big, uh, you know, big moment there that that sort of swayed the Connerly and Wallace's favor was winning that egg bowl against Mississippi State. I think ultimately, and, and I don't
1: know exactly how you execute this, there should be two separate awards, I think. One for... The Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss best player. I don't. You can do one, or you can do multiple from each school. I don't care. And then one from the non-power five schools in the state. Separate them because if you're if you're being honest with yourself, the best player in the state of Mississippi, as far as college football player, the best player is always going to come from one of those three schools because of the talent discrepancy between the level that they play at and the level that everybody else plays at. Separating the awards, I think, still. And you can have the ceremonies on the same day at the same time. Have the exact same event, give out two different awards. One for and the could, Power Five, and then one for the non-Power Five.
0: And you could even set it up. I think you and I mentioned this, or we talked about it at least. You know, you have your state, Southern, and uh, Ole Miss nominee. And then you have a fourth person that maybe you put a fan vote in there. So for this year, let's say you have the three finalists you have. Simmons, uh, Watkins, and Brown. And then from the fan vote, you put Tamu, Sweat, and I, you know, I don't know who else, right? And, and that's a place where if there is a worthy candidate from Jackson State or Alcorn, somebody who's put up ridiculous numbers, put them in there. And if they, they get there, they get there. You know, If you go back in time and you get a Steve McNair kind of player, put them in there, sure. And they can win both awards. I don't, I, you know, wouldn't bother me or not. And then, uh, you know, for me, call it the Jerry Rice Award. The Willie Totten Award, you know, one of the great players in the, in the state's history. Call it the Steve McNair Award. That would be a fantastic thing, and that goes to the player from the, the FCS, the Division II, the Division III schools yeah. in this state.
1: Because I mean, we we were there yesterday. Most all of you listening were not. Just from logistical standpoint, they do a really good job of at least making everybody feel equal. Everybody yeah. was equally represented at that ceremony, but. I mean, you had Austin Davis win in, was it 2011? And then ever since yes. then, it's been Ole Miss and or Mississippi State. Yeah. And now Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State dominate the, the award total. What is it? Eight and eight. Eight so and eight, yeah.
0: Do something about that. And part of that for USM is, you know, Austin Davis, when, they, when he was there, they were really, really good. Um, and that was the year where they put up billboards about their BCS ranking. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they haven't had a team like that. They've had some good teams, but they haven't really had a team like that since then. You know, if Southern you know, Southern had jumped up this year and, and somehow won 9, 10 games and Jack Abraham had thrown for, you know, 3,000 yards and 20 touchdowns, chances are he would have had a realistic shot of getting in there with A.J. and Simmons. But as it is, it's going to take a special season and a special – I guess I should say a special season both record-wise and statistic-wise – for one of those players from those other schools to really get in the uh, the mix okay. for this award. Uh,
1: the Bully tweets at UNI and says uh, he agrees. He thinks something like the McNair or Rice Trophy would be a really good thing. Robin Hattiesburg said Southern Miss fan here. A.J. Brown is by far the best player in the state. Very surprised at this. Yeah, I mean, Look, they're both going to be first-round picks. so You're splitting hairs, really. um, And you can text the show if you'd like, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. But C Spire reminds you, please do not text and drive. There are plenty of other options for you. Please be a part of the show, but do so safely. Um, On that note, we've got, what would you say, four guys from Ole Miss and Mississippi State, four guys from the state of Mississippi, really, in total, that are potential
0: first-round picks. Maybe five, but a solid Maybe four. Maybe six. I think, I think, you know, I've got your list here. Elton Jenkins needs to be on this list. He is a guy that has a chance to be a first-round pick. Maybe late first round, but if there's somebody who needs a center in the first round, Jenkins is going to get a strong look. I think you've got three Bulldogs and three Rebels. You've got Sweat, Simmons, and Jenkins, and then you've got Brown, Little, and Metcalf.
1: Uh, Dale in Hattiesburg, by the way, asks, has it become the Egg Bowl MVP? Uh, I, I hope it doesn't, but it could – you could argue for that maybe.
0: Yeah. I mean, for A.J. winning it last year, obviously he was the Egg Bowl MVP. Yeah. The year before that was was the sort of the outlier. Evan Ingram won it despite Mississippi State winning the Egg Bowl. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, 15, Dak Prescott won it, even though Chad Kelly won the – and the Ole Miss won the Egg Bowl. Um, so you know, yeah. it's 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 not all the way there, but I think I think it's sort of it's sort of you know smart to assume that a big performance in the biggest game in the state probably goes a long way with yeah. some voters.
1: I'm sure it does. Sean and Grenada asks if Fletcher Cox ever won, and if not, he thinks the award is a joke. That's the thing about awards like this, and Simmons winning last night is an outlier because the offensive and defensive linemen never get their due credit especially defensive linemen, because most of the – Jadavion Clowney, for example. Jadavion Clowney was a physical – a just absolute freak of nature, once-in-a-lifetime-type prospect. And if you watched South Carolina play when Clowney was there, the numbers weren't there because he drew every bit of attention from the offense to the point where they schemed completely away from him. They took him out of the game and made somebody else beat you. Defensive tackles is even harder.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey and, and Simmons and didn't put ne- up
1: big numbers because he was
0: doubled and tripled sometimes all season long. Cox was not, I'm sorry, Fletcher Cox was not even nominated for the award. Uh, in 2010 when he was a sophomore, that was the last year of only sending three people. Uh, Mississippi State linebacker Chris White won it, won it. The next year, Austin Davis wins it. Jonathan Banks was Mississippi State's uh, nominee that year. So not only did Cox not win it, he was never even nominated for the award.
1: Yeah, somebody asks um, about have we forgot Walter Payton was from Mississippi? He's got there's I think all, a, I think a couple a Walter, of awards.
0: There's uh, already a Walter Payton Award. the The best player in FCS wins that. And he's all that's the, that's the FCS Heisman.
1: Yeah, and then the Man of the Year in the NFL.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's true too. If you I, nobody has forgotten sweetness, I promise <laughs> you that.
1: If you look at Drew Brees' jersey, uh, he's got a, a yeah. funny looking yeah. patch that nobody else on his team has. That's what that is. I think Eli's got one. Who else has one? I can't remember. I know those two.
0: Your man of the year is, yeah.
1: Uh, But that is is certainly what that is. Uh, We'll keep going on this next because a lot of you guys uh, have thoughts on this. And we're going to talk about these prospects and where they should go and maybe where you want them to go. Where would be the best fit for your Jeffrey Simmons, your Montez Sweat, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Greg Little's, of the state of Mississippi, where you think they're going to go. And we will talk about that next, as well as maybe get into some headlines and a whole lot more coming your way this afternoon. at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. So where should these prospects go? Where do you think they're going to go? Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. Sean and Grenada, by the way, says, The best player doesn't get the award. The best players MSU and Ole Miss have ever produced were Fletcher Cox and Patrick Willis, in his opinion. Yeah, that's like the Heisman. Well, Patrick Willis won it. He won this award? Yeah. Well, see, there, Sean, your theory's broken. But the, the point still stands that linemen, especially linemen, uh, don't get the, the due recognition, uh, especially in awards like the Heisman. I mean, are, are three quarterbacks really going to be the best players in college football? I think Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State is going to get invited to the, the ceremony in New York. I think he's a great quarterback. Is he one of the three best players in all of college football, though? No. no. Not not even close. Absolutely not. I mean, I would take 12 guys on Alabama's roster ahead of him. He's a good quarterback, but there are better football players in the country. Uh, awards are, are kind of skewed that way, but we had an outlier last night uh, in college football. Um, a text year that said they should all go to the Saints. Woohoo. So let's start there. <laughs> Uh, we'll do with the award winner last night, Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, consensus first-round pick is going to have to answer some questions uh, in those draft rooms. But uh, all in all, a consensus expected first-round draft pick. Uh, where do you think he's going to go, and where would you like to see him go? And you can't say the Saints because they don't have a first-round pick next year.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, where would he? Uh, like, like is sort of relative, right? You know, I mean, if he if he gets a the good position for him, and he makes a lot of money. Everybody's going to be happy. This is painful. This is really painful. But, man, does the, do the Atlanta Falcons need help on the defensive line? They could use a Jeffrey Simmons in there to, to, to give them a bolster. So I'm watching the Saints. I finally saw the highlights, obviously. I was you know watching the State Ole Miss game. Uh, but I got to see the and it was incredible how the Saints were just gashing them play after play right up the middle with Ingram and Kamara. They've got to do something out there. So Simmons to Atlanta, that's a fit that works.
1: And then the other, at least, uh, there are two best shots at Mississippi State at first-round picks, obviously, are Simmons and then Montez Sweat. He's, you think he's going to test well enough? I, I've seen some mock drafts where he's either late first or, or out of the first into the early second. Um, is he a guy that's going to jump off the boards in testing, or is his play going to have to speak
0: for it? Well, I mean, if his play has to speak for him, he's in good. He's in good shape because his play is really, yeah. really good. Uh, but I think he'll test well because he's so tall and long. He'll have great vertical leap. He's got good burst off the ball. I think he's plenty strong, so he should be in pretty good shape there. I've got a uh, I've got a draft order. Like if, if current, if the the draft was now and they had to set the order, just looking at it, for me. Cleveland, to get him maybe to pair him with Miles Garrett would be an interesting pick. You know, you want to have a couple of bookend pass rushers. That might be a good one. Um, They're sneaky really good defensively, so that would be a great compliment because it's
1: Garrett and then Emmanuel Ogba who played at Oklahoma State, and you get a third man in that rotation like that. It's a pretty salty pass rush.
0: Yeah, I like, you know – the idea of him going to the Raiders, maybe they have a later first-round pick, I believe. They have the Bears' first-round pick than the Khalil Mack trade.
1: Yeah, they need a uh, pass rusher because they got they rid of have the best the, one. Uh,
0: they have three first-round picks. They have uh, the Cowboys' first-round pick from the Amari Cooper trade as well. So, yeah, that, the, that sweat to, to Oakland would make a lot of sense because, like you just said, they gave away Khalil Mack. they they got to replace him somehow. Sweat might be a good choice there.
1: Our friend Rebel Ed listens every day, and and we are happy that you do, Rebel Ed, but he said, Mr. Haydad makes me tired, not offended, just the world's foremost authority with a perpetual Mississippi State twist. How many of his boys will be first-round picks? All of them? We have mentioned two, and that is coming based on the word of draft analysts and experts all over the country, so it's not like... Hey dad's just pulling these names out of his butt and saying, hey, these guys are first-round picks because I say so. One, because the players are good enough and and we watch the games and know that they are talented enough. But two, we have people that we trust and have a track record of being accurate with these kind of things saying that they're going to be first-round picks. So it's kind of hard to argue against the
0: experts in this deal. Isn't my job to be the foremost authority with an MSU twist? (laughs) Isn't that what y'all hired me to do? You're, You're the state guy for sure. All right then, let's make sure. Right. Um, yeah, well, I'll well, tell you what, Rebel Ed. Let's why don't you? Well, let's talk about AJ Brown and Greg Little then.
1: Yeah, let's do that. And Ed, we thank you for listening. You're you are very loyal to the show, and and we're glad to have you aboard. Um, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, the the two wide receivers. I think ultimately Metcalf might be the better pro if he stays healthy, mm-hmm. but AJ Brown's going to go first because of the injuries.
0: Yeah. And, and and the production too. I mean, he's just produced big numbers in, in in college. The first the first thing that pops out to me is Arizona, but they're picking. They've got them picking third right this second. I don't know that AJ Brown would go with the third pick in the draft, uh, but they could. I mean, they got a young quarterback. Larry Fitzgerald's on his way out. They got to replace him. You need to get a big time playmaker there. Um, Buffalo, they they could use some playmakers in the passing game. Um, you go back to Cleveland. You've got. Baker Mayfield, you want to give him a weapon. Yeah, compliment to Jarvis there. Landry there. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe Tennessee, same thing there. You've got uh, Mariota, you want to surround him with weapons. That'd and be a they good need there, I
1: think. weapons desperately
0: in Tennessee. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, there's nothing there offensively, and they, they have the most expensive left tackle in all of football, and their offensive line's not very good. And, I mean, they've got – one decent receiver and just a bunch of dudes on that team. And Mariota's sneak, sneaky playing really good football, and it's just not mattering. Uh, so you're yeah. right, they need a weapon there. A sneaky – I'm sorry, go, go ahead.
0: ahead. Well, I was say with Metcalf, you've know, you got to look, le- obviously, later in the first round. Um, I have a feeling he's going to
1: slip into two.
0: He might. He might it's because there's going to be health – the, the, the thing for DK Metcalf, we've been talking about it is, is he healthy enough to have a pro day? Can he go out there on his pro day and show you the tools and everything you've seen? He's already seen the film. You know what he can do, but you just want to make sure that he's healthy enough. If he slides into the first round and the back end of the first round, you know, somebody, again, like the Raiders, they have to replace Amari Cooper. You know, could get a couple of Mississippi kids, Sweat and and Brown, to do that with with Cooper and Mack. I'd love Um, to see
1: him in New Orleans.
0: Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, Well, they have a, really a second-round pick,
1: don't they? Second-round pick's all they've got. <laughs> so, <it'll be> a, <laughs> it's a pretty complete a team other than wide receiver. I mean, they'll get the, Ted Ginn back, but ultimately, well, they're going to have to end up – I mean, and Kamara's going to come off of his rookie deal, and Michael Thomas is going to come off of his rookie deal, and so will Marshawn Lattimore. And, I mean, they're going to have to pay up on some of these guys, so getting a cheap, complimentary option uh, across from Michael Thomas, maybe you, you deal Ted Ginn uh, to make that happen, but – He is the perfect complement to Mike Thomas because they're very
0: different Mm -hmm. receivers. With the Saints pick, the Packers could take D.K. Metcalf. They could certainly stand to give Aaron Rodgers another target.
1: Yeah, because even though we are all making excuses for Aaron Rodgers or for the Packers losing for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I know there's more to football than a good quarterback. But at at what point do we point the finger towards Aaron Rodgers and not everybody else in Green Bay? Point the thumb, not the finger. That's what we've learned. (laughs) Uh, And then Greg Little. Um, The New York Giants need offensive line help. They need help, well, everywhere except for running
0: back. Franchise, possible franchise left tackle, everybody's going to be in the hunt for that guy. Wouldn't be surprised completely to see a left tackle go in the first couple of picks, but I think that would be Jonah Williams from, from Alabama. He's probably gonna be the top tackle on the board and then maybe little after him. And so you just look down the list a little bit, you know, Jacksonville, uh, you know, trying to think of young quarterbacks. I mean, Atlanta, they're pretty good on the offensive line. Cleveland again, you know, do you want to protect Baker Mayfield? Do You want to protect your investment there? Uh, Miami has Tunsil. I don't know that you want to pay, imagine pairing Tunsell and Little. That'd be sort of funny. He's been hurt but, a little bit this year, but just yeah, random but still, anecdote,
1: Laramie Tunsell hasn't given up a sack.
0: Do the Colts maybe want to talk about Greg Little to protect Andrew Luck? So, I mean, look at teams that have franchise quarterbacks and they want to protect them. So that 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 those are some possibilities. Yeah. And either way,
1: I mean, this will be, I guess Ole Miss had a big draft night in 2016, but that was, um, you know, kind of ruined, but this will be the biggest first round potentially in the state of Mississippi history overall, not for one team or the other. But we're looking at four, maybe five, and, I mean, long shot, but six guys getting picked in the first round. At least four probably should go
0: in the first round. I think four is a lock. Five is probable. Six is possible. And honestly, with the way he's played in the last month, Jonathan Abram has shot up, probably shot up some boards. It could be could be seven, and then I just I, you know I've looked at some some uh, some different draft boards. Jordan Tamu is anywhere from you know six to ten on most QB boards. If there's a run on quarterbacks at any point, and I don't, and there always will be, then it's possible you know last pick of the first round, and that's probably the Rams right this second, or maybe the Saints will end up there. I guess not the Saints with the Packers, but somebody in need of a quarterback might. Just to say, look, he's the best guy left, and he might not make it through the second or third round. We, we might have to make a move for him there. So, you know, I don't think Tom is going to get guy. a shot. But, yeah, well, I mean, his numbers are too good to not at least take a chance on him. So,
1: we will get into a little bit of headlines next because uh, one of the, we, we can call him a legend at this point, a, a very well known head coach in college football has stepped aside today. Uh, you've got a major sports league partnering. Uh, with a gambling service, that and Will Muschamp had some interesting comments about the SEC that I think Mississippi State fans especially will like to hear. All that coming up right here in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Mother, back on Sports Talk, tell your children not to walk my way. Michael Borkey, Brian, Hey Dad, with you this afternoon. Barry and Laurel on the text line asks us about the AAF quarterback draft last night. In case you missed it, this new football league, the Alliance of American football that will start, I guess, a week after the Super Bowl and have a 10-game season. Uh, There's eight teams. Uh, One of them's in Memphis, nearby us, and another one's in Birmingham, which I guess is also nearby us. They had a quarterback-only draft last night, so they already have signed players to their roster, and they did so with a conscious effort to make them local. I think Birmingham has, what, had four Mississippi State players
0: uh yeah, maybe more than that but yeah it's it's quite a few.
1: Memphis has a couple of old miss players so they tried to localize the guys they signed for natural tie in and interest. But they did draft quarterbacks last night and quarterbacks only. So I'm going to run through the names. I don't recognize them all. So hey dad if you've got this in front of you, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Um some of them I'm going to skip cuz I don't recognize but if you know who they are, jump in here. Aaron Murray's sure. going to play in Atlanta. Seven MSU guys
0: on the Birmingham roster.
1: Seven. Okay, see, that's uh, that was a, a conscious effort done by the league to generate local interest. The games, by the way, will all be on CBS Sports Network. They already have a TV contract, uh, so a good start there. But Aaron Murray's going to be in Atlanta. You know him, of course. Trevor Knight will play for Hugh Freeze, unless he takes the Tennessee job more on that later uh, at that Arizona. Seems
0: like fit. That seems like a good fit. Knight's a, a mobile Quarterback, he's sort of a a a little bit better Bo Wallace, so that 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 seems like a good fit.
1: Garrett Gilbert in Orlando, Texas quarterback, I believe so.
0: I think he transferred to SMU. Yeah, yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah,
1: Blake Sims is going to play in Birmingham. You know, Alabama fans are going to come out for that. They'll eat that up. That's a good. That's a good pick. Christian Hackenberg is going to play for the Memphis Express.
0: (laughs) How far the mighty have fallen.
1: (laughs) Uh, Austin Allen, the very good Arkansas quarterback, will be in Salt Lake playing for the Stallions. Okay. Scott Tolzien, the Wisconsin quarterback, will also be in Birmingham. Zach Mettenberger was a fourth-round pick in the quarterback draft. He's going to be in Memphis.
0: Well, he was in Tennessee before, so he's just building his brand there. Yeah.
1: So, a bunch of names that, honestly, I am not familiar with. Um... Like Brandon Silvers, for example, Logan Woodside, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's bad of me for not knowing off the top of my head, but those are, are two names that I simply just do not recognize whatsoever. And
0: If you had gotten Logan Woodside, man, he played at Toledo.
1: Ooh. He was a rocket. I would have really uh, impressed all of you with my useless college football knowledge.
0: Brandon Silvers, you said? Yeah, Brandon Silvers. <laughs> oh, what? Where did he play? He played at Troy. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, Neil Brown product.
0: Good for him. Yeah.
1: So they. Not a uh, bad player. There were four rounds. Each team selected four quarterbacks. So I don't know if they will keep all four quarterbacks. But each team, uh, going into the season, at least going into their version of training camp, will have four quarterbacks on their roster. Otherwise, there's no draft. It's they've all signed their players. I don't know the regulations on that, but the rosters are already filled with the exception of the quarterbacks, which was. Uh, determined last night for whatever that's worth to you. Uh this came out earlier today, so a couple headlines here for you. Um it, it was made official by Georgia Tech, but multi- multiple reports earlier today said that Paul Johnson uh, at Georgia Tech, the head coach there is is retiring uh after his 11th season at Georgia Tech. He was 82 and 59 uh, there in Atlanta. He's known as one of the curators of the modern triple option. I know it's been an offense long before he was born, really, but he's the one uh, that's really helped keep it alive in college football. Uh, He won the ACC in 2009. That apparently was later vacated. I don't know why. In four division titles, one of them was also later vacated. I don't know why. And he's credited for starting up the modern success of Navy football. I mean, he was the guy that uh, was really good there. Before that, he was at... Uh, Georgia Southern won a couple f c s national titles there, so a really good coach a yeah. a legend because of his offense has decided to hang it up
0: today so my question is, do you think Georgia Tech needs to find a coach doesn't have to be triple option, but that runs sort of a similar option based kind of offense, or do you think they're going to go a complete one eighty and my question is, I look at Arkansas this year, and what happened there? Are you willing to sacrifice the twenty nineteen season? To make that to make a, a big philosophy change
1: that's the million dollar question right or depending on the contract size the
0: four million dollar question have you seen one of the names that's already popped up it boggles the mind Ken Wizenhunt. wait what I, he, he is he's he's a name to watch evidently if you're Georgia Tech
1: I I would assume that a lot of the alums and the big donors are sick of the triple option even though it really worked there Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy place to win. I, I I guess they've had some success in the past, but right now, considering your admission standards and considering what Georgia has become, what do you expect at Georgia Tech? If it's winning four divisions in 11 years, then Paul Johnson was your recipe. If you are expecting more than that, I don't know if if that's realistic. So making a phone call to Ken Niamatololo would make all the sense in the world. Right.
0: I just I, – I, go ahead. I don't know. I, 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 my my first thought is – and this is sort of, you know, we've seen Matt Brown and Les Miles get hired. It's, it's like nobody wants to take a chance on these younger guys, but this is a spot where Neil Brown makes sense or Scott Satterwhite or any number of young, exciting coaches. So, for me, you know, I, I'm going to stick with the option or at least something based in the option because – you at Georgia Tech are never going to out recruit an out athlete. Georgia, Clemson, for the most part, Florida State. You know, for the most part, Miami teams. You're going to have to play every year, so you got to keep the offense sort of innovative. So for me, I'm, I'm, those are the guys I'm looking at. I'm not. I, when I hear Ken Whisenhunt, and I'm thinking, oh my, a pro style offense. Oh, never mind that next year you will go two and ten at best, trying to convert to that, but. I don't know. You know, I'm looking at your headlines here. I hate to I hate to, you know, call an audible here on you, but Texas State hired a coach today. And that's that's big news here in Mississippi. Yeah, because of who it wasn't.
1: Uh Phil yes. Longo was rumored to be, well, he interviewed with Texas State yeah. today and ultimately did not get the job. I'm saying that word a lot today. I got to stop that. It's becoming a bit of a crutch, but he did not get <laughs> uh, the job there and um He's going to be interviewing at a few more places, and we'll yeah. see what happens there. That's something to keep an eye on, but that was
0: the easy... more of that with uh, with, with Rippey later, but yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll get into that uh, later on and what that means and, and all of that stuff. But uh, there was... It, it seemed like it would be an easy transition. He, he coached FCS ball in Texas. He comes to the SEC, has a good offense, even though it wasn't... I, I don't even say it wasn't very good. It was terrible in the red zone. Going back to Texas would have made sense, but... Um, they went ahead and, and made a deal elsewhere. Yeah. Who signed that deal by the way? Was it uh Jake Spavital? So it was uh it was Longo and then um Kendall Bryles and then Spavital were the, the three
0: the, major three finalists. Guys. Yeah. Longo never made any kind of statement one way or the other. Bryles said Bryles said he was staying at Houston, which I take as they weren't gonna offer me the job. As you know, that's, nobody ever is really honest in these deals. So that was interesting. is you interesting. Know, he was at Texas A&M. Uh, he, he replaced uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury when he left. And you know, obviously never had the same success there, but of course part of that is he never had Johnny Manziel either. So we'll see how this works out for them. But, I mean, Texas State's another team. They're going to want to run wide open, you know, that, that spread system that you see all throughout Texas high schools. That's why it's so easy for these schools to recruit and plug players in immediately. This is, they're all running the same sort of systems at high school. They run these these wide-open passing offenses at the Big 12, and then that trickles down to these smaller schools.
1: And speaking of the Big 12, real quick, uh, we're up against a break here. The Big 12 is literally protecting Texas's delicate feelings because the horns-down gesture, if used in any kind of, quote, taunting way, will be a penalty. They say you can use it as long as you're not taunting, but – how are you? It is a taunt. How, how are you using it when it's not taunting? So the Big 12 is out here mandating the horns down and making it a penalty because poor Texas got their feelings hurt that when West Virginia was beating the crap out of them in Austin, the players were doing the horns down, and now we've got to protect poor little Texas.
0: You know, I've always wondered about this: that with Ole Miss and the Land Shark, when anybody else does it you get a penalty. If, if, some, if you're playing Ole Miss and you get a sack and you do the land shark on Ole Miss, you get the penalty called. So Wait, sort of is a that real? Situation.
1: Oh, yeah. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard.
0: Maybe, maybe not. I, I, they'll at least get, I know two years ago, Simmons got a warning for it. And then eight years ago, McPhee did it after a sack, got warned, did it again, and they called a penalty on it.
1: Yeah, sorry. If you have a hand gesture... If you have the horns up or you it's have the land game. shark fin and somebody, in your opponent makes a good defensive play, he can put that fin or horn down all he wants to. That's what happens when you have a hand gesture. You've just got to suck it up and get over it
0: and maybe try to not let them do that, and they won't do it to you. Just put it on the list of things we're going to have to talk about when you and I eventually go talk to Greg Sankey. Yeah.
1: He's too busy slapping ADs on the wrist to worry about what we say. (laughs) Promise you a Will Muschamp quote. I will get it. It's of specific interest, I think, to anybody that's watched an SEC game lately. He went right after the SEC and said something that I don't think any other coach uh, has said before. So we'll get into that quote and tell you what it means. That's next right here on Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, so what did Will Muschamp say? His quarterback, Jake Bentley, was not given the Offensive Player of the Week award in the SEC, and he didn't take too kindly to that. Uh, Jake threw for 510 yards and five touchdowns against Clemson's number two in the country defense. Um, The best numbers in the SEC this weekend, and did not get the award. Will Muschamp said, quote, I think it's important when a young man does some, some special things to get recognized for it. He's the first quarterback in SEC history to have that many yards against a top five team, and he had five touchdowns in the history of the league, never been done before. That's pretty pr- impressive in my opinion. He continued, and here's the money quote. We have a saying in the SEC, it just means more. It just means more sometimes depending on what your logo is. Call it like it is. I'm going to defend our kids. I work for South Carolina. I know he's Mm -hmm. not talking about officiating. I know he's talking about a meaningless award, but if you're going to give an award, it needs to go to the right people. But it just means more sometimes, depending on what your logo is, coming out of the mouth of an SEC coach, it's
0: about time. Well, that part I agree with. That, that's the part, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that through the years, the power. But again, this is, something, this is like this in life. You know, the, the, the powerful always have protection that, that you and I and the unpowerful do not have. That said, they lost the game, right? They did lose the game. Uh, I don't care what his numbers were, then he can't be the offensive player of the week. Oh, come on. Five, right. 10, five
1: touchdowns against Clemson.
0: Didn't do enough.
1: I would argue that defensively they didn't do enough.
0: Well, I don't I mean, know how much well, more I, you, you can ask. I'm going, I'm going the shoop route on this. That even in a game like this, you know, even when you scored 35 points and 500 yards, you could, you should have done more to win. Yeah, you didn't play winning football. You played good, but you didn't play winning football. And I'm not into the conspiracies. I think people that are
1: still out here talking about how the SEC had a controversial ruling in the Ole Miss Vanderbilt game in which the rule itself was ambiguous, and by the letter of the rule, they probably ended up getting the call right, even though it's it's a bad rule. By the letter of the rule, it was probably the correct call. The SEC is not spending time or money or effort protecting Vanderbilt's bowl eligibility. That's not happening. Vanderbilt moves zero needles. They don't care. There's no conspiracy to keep Vanderbilt bowl eligible. That being said... There is a lot of thought in SEC fanland that the conference favors specific schools. And now that yes. Will Muschamp, a guy that has coached in the league at three different places for a long time, says something like that, <laughs> to kind of leads some credibility to the people that think that there is some kind of
0: bias in some way. That's well... I, while I agree with you, I assume, when, when did he make this comment? This was was it yesterday?
2: It had Monday? to have been
0: Monday.
1: We will hear an apology before the end of the week. Oh, because they'll make him, yeah, or fine him, one of the two, or yeah. give him a strongly worded public
0: reprimand. Up, oh, he has to go see. He has to go see Sankey. Oh, he's Put got a meeting too. He, he's
1: the meeting right after Cohen and Bjork.
0: It, it, this is sort of like <laughs> that uh, that episode of Parks and Rec where April didn't realize there was a March thirty first. <laughs> and so she she scheduled 150 meetings for Ron Swanson because she didn't think it was a real date. It's like he's like, "How many meetings do I have today?"
1: Oh man, I still I would love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting.
0: I, I think it, it it won't accomplish anything. After Bjork's comments from yesterday, I think I would pay a couple weeks' salary to be to be in that meeting just just to sit. I won't say anything. I just want to sit there and watch.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you've kind of been hearing that same stuff for a few years now, right? I mean, it's I good. Have. I mean, it's good. On the surface, in isolation, it was strong. It was really strong, but so were a lot of things in the past, and the fan base still doesn't trust them at all. If that's fair or not, it doesn't matter because that's the reality. They don't trust them at all.
0: Right. Yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of what happened yesterday at Ole Miss to me felt like we, like you, just needed to say it. Like we, we may not actually believe it, but we needed to say it.
1: Yeah. A lot of a lot of people didn't like. Matt Luke's thing, and we'll get into this more later, I actually thought that that was the best he's looked. Now he's got to act on it, but uh, that was a little bit of what people were looking for instead of a lot of robotics that you got during the season. But ultimately, gosh, that word again. It's it's not going to matter unless they produce results because the fans... Ole Miss fans are sick of being told that things are okay. They want to see that things are okay because the product on the field was not okay. And until that changes, it doesn't matter what you say. But more on that later. We'll talk bowl projections. On this day, nine years ago, one of the most bizarre sports stories in history – Started. Both of those things coming up next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Four o'clock hour on a Wednesday afternoon at Sports Talk, Mississippi. Presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you this afternoon, streaming at Supertalk.fm. You can text the show. 601 879 4395 601 879 4395. That is the C Spire text line. And C Spire reminds you to be safe, don't text and drive. And Jason in Columbus decided uh, to text us, of course, not while driving, and said, In 2019, will there be a person added to the show to speak favorably of Ole Miss? And we did it. <laughs> we are a, a state only show now, uh, allegedly. But in all seriousness, Jason, um, would you like me to lie to you? Because if that's what people want, I mean, I have to do whatever pays the bills, but if if you want me to tell you that losing five straight games in the SEC is anything but bad, you're listening to the wrong show. No, things are not good right now at Ole Miss regarding its football program. doesn't mean that it's the end of the world and or anything like that, but if you want me to tell you to put a positive spin on what's going on, I don't think I'm capable. It, losing five straight games to end the season is not good. The recruiting class as it sits right now currently is not good enough to win in the SEC West. They can close on some guys and make it better. Sure, they can. They can, but they just had back-to-back seasons of the worst defenses in school history. Things aren't very good there right now. And yes, I did like what Matt Luke had to say yesterday. He was very passionate, and and it was good. But they've got to act on it, and he's going to have the chance to do so. He's going to hire his own defensive coordinator for the first time since he's been a head coach. It'll actually be his. If Phil Longo gets one of the jobs he's interviewing for, he's going to have the chance to hire his own offensive coordinator as well. He's going to have a couple more staff members, if my sourcing is correct, that he's either going to replace or reassign and and to make the staff his. And it could work. It might work. It very well – I mean, he's got good connections. He's made good hires before. But if you want me to positively spin what happened in the last five games of the Ole Miss football season, you're listening to the wrong show because that wasn't good enough. If If, if you want to have somebody sit here and tell you that what happened on the field in 2018 is okay – I don't know where to send you for that. Because what happened on the field isn't okay. And Matt Luke knows that. He said as much yesterday. He did. To his credit, he understands what he has to do. But I'm not going to tell you what happened is good enough. At all.
0: I want you to tell me a lie about me now, though. You said if you want me to lie to you, you will. Say something about me that's a lie.
1: Something about you that's a lie?
0: Yeah. But that's to be possible. You have really bad taste in music? No, that's, it has to be positive. Oh, I have to lie about you positively? Yeah, it has to be a nice lie. I, don't, I can't nice lie. I will think of something before the end of, uh, I will. My end of I'll the time. I'll come up with gear. something. All right.
1: Dwayne in the Delta agrees with me. It's, it's not good right now. It's okay to say that things aren't good. That's okay. You should demand better than what you've gotten. I think most fans are. It, this, this might be an outlier here. You should demand better, though.
0: You should. Oh, well, yeah. You should not be You're satisfied with what's money. happening. You spend your money. You have the right to make that demand, and it's the job of the AD. And the uh, the powder blue uniforms are nice. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Duane. They, they do look good. It's a it's a good look. I like the color. I could tweet. I could tweet from my account and get some state fans to chime in here. Say something nice about Ole Miss. They're We're good. get some fantastic answers. I'm
1: sure. It, it's it is a good place, and, and they sh- it should be better. And and Matt Luke's going to be given the opportunity. I think. Ross Bjork sent an email out today basically giving his, hey, we're going through with Matt Luke, like you've seen Texas San Antonio and, and others, Southern Cal, give, send these emails out saying, hey, this is our guy. He's going to be afforded the opportunity to make it right. But right now, it's not right. And that's okay to say. There's nothing wrong with saying that because it's the truth. Yeah. But I we do... Appreciate you listening, and and we're glad you're engaging with us, and and we hope that disagreeing is not steering you away. I I like when people disagree with me and and with us, so uh, ho- hope you stick around and and continue engaging with us this afternoon, and uh, and you can do the same. A few texts are coming in now. Um, Tom in Caledonia says, "Who would want to play for a school in a bull band?" Uh, luckily for Ole Miss, that um, has ended. Uh, Brad in Burnsville says. A nice lie. Tell, hey, Dad, he has great taste in music. Uh Uh-oh.
0: I do have great taste in music.
1: And John Hurley says, say what you will about Luke, but he did not lose the team like the last two head coaches did. So there's that. That's a good point. Uh, I'm surprised that they played – they got up for
0: every game the way they did considering the situation they were in. I I was incredibly surprised by that the past two years, especially after last year, the 2017 season, when they lost to Arkansas – I was fully prepared for that team to just collapse. collapse, And it didn't. They ended up with their two biggest wins of the year, beating Kentucky and Mississippi State. Yeah, so if you want your
1: positive, there's your positive. Matt Luke is able to get his kids to play for him in every game, motivate, regardless yeah. of the circumstances. There you go. you can go. get some more talent in there, you know. And they've got and to they do he's got, got a chance. That. On this day in 2009 was the genesis of one of the most bizarre stories In sports history. This isn't when the story broke. This is when, according to Darren Rovell, who used to be of ESPN, now he moved over to the Action Network on this day. The Action Network. In 2009, Manti Teo met, air quotes, his girlfriend, who later died, but it ended up being an elaborate hoax, and she did not exist at all. But on, on this day, in
0: 2009, they met. Could you play some Peter Cetera? the glory of love while we're talking about this? <laughs> is that possible? Do you have that in there? I mean, is, seriously, is there a more bizarre sports story no. than that? I remember the day that the story broke on Deadspin that it was all a hoax. And, you know, normally a long article I want the too long didn't read on, I read every word of that article. I read it a couple of times just like, what am I reading? What? He did this. Who? It was unbelievable to me. It still is unbelievable to me. You know, and my wife watches that terrible show Catfish. So I see it happening to people all the time. And I, I just can't get over it that, you know, I'm speaking of catfish. they have had something like that in this state. So I, I can't get over these people who you can't ever meet a person. They just keep they keep coming up with excuses and keep coming up with this, that and the other. But you still think they're real. I don't think anybody is real that I haven't met in person or know someone who met. Like, Brad Pitt, he may or may not be real. I've never actually met him.
2: I mean, Could you've never seen
1: uh, Brad Pitt and me in the same room, so
0: That's true. just throwing that out there. Who are two people who have never been in my kitchen? Me. And Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt.
1: Anyway. I, I would like to think I'm more of a Bradley Cooper myself, but... That's a yeah, you're pushing it. A, a different story, but I mean, right. if you I always remember, you more
0: as, as an Allen, if we were going to go like the Hangover route.
1: I mean, his whole Heisman campaign was centered was around
0: around this girl,
1: this his girlfriend that died of leukemia, but she was not real.
0: <laughs> Just, even today, it's funny. It's still funny that this happened, and he plays for the Saints now. I want him to do well, and he's been a pretty something... good pro
1: considering how bad it. Uh, <laughs> Alabama just embarrassed him the night they played in the national
0: championship. Here's the thing about Manti Teo, though. He could, be a, a, he could start right now and be all pro like the next five years and go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and be regarded as as the greatest linebacker of all time. And if you said, what do you think about him? This is the first thing I would bring up. He had the fake girlfriend. And that's why he went to the Heisman ceremony. Hey, guys, if you have a girlfriend that you've never met, you don't have a girlfriend. <laughs> just so throwing just this that little out a piece there. of advice from your friend Brian here. She goes to another school. You wouldn't know her.
1: Leon and Louisville, by the way, chimes in on the previous conversation, says that uh, Ole Miss fans need to chill. They're three years removed from a Sugar Bowl and uh, one year away from being bowl eligible, and, and I understand that, but it was – Losing five consecutive games while not scoring in the red zone with what most most people thought was an elite offense, and you're going to see in the NFL draft that when AJ Brown goes in the first round, DK Metcalf goes in the second round, and Demarcus Lodge is a mid round guy that makes a roster and is catching balls in the NFL next year, that there was there's a reason that fans are so upset. It's because that five and seven does not look like. Even Hugh Freeze's last five, five and seven, truthfully, because they were at least in games, they blew leads, and he ended up losing that team and lost his entire program and his career. But th- that that five and seven that just happened does not look right. And so, yes, are they are the three years. I'm Rick rolling everybody. <laughs> so yes, they're three remo- three years removed from a Sugar Bowl. So you know where they can go, and and that's why the fans are so anxious. Is because they were just there. And look at where they are now. And based on what they saw on the field, it doesn't feel like they're going to get back there. And so that's where the angst is coming from. More fans need perspective, but I kind of see where they're coming from on this one. And more on that later. We'll get into Mississippi State bowl projections next. Uh, The latest from Brett McMurphy in that regard. And he's pretty well connected as far as bowl games go. He's breaking uh, bowl announcements a week before they even happen. So... A trusted source here, and we'll get into that next. Where is Mississippi State go, and who are they going to play? That's next on Sports Talk. Oh, projections. We are just a few days away from getting the final official slate, but even though the latest round of Ohio State reporting from Brett McMurphy was, was suspect, he's still very connected in, in this end of college football for sure and he put out his bowl projections today. And before we get into Mississippi State, real quick, Southern Miss was actually uh, left out of his bowl projections. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, uh, we, we hope, obviously, we hope that they make a bowl game, but that is something that, uh, that is out there and something to potentially be worried about. But we hope, uh, we hope of course, that is not the yeah, case.
0: I think, I think I saw last week that there's maybe four more teams than there are bowls for, for this round. So there's going to be, three or four teams miss that have or six wins or better uh, in this cycle.
1: All right, real quick, the projections that don't involve Mississippi State but do involve the SEC, TCU and Auburn in the Texas Bowl, Purdue and Missouri could be, well, that will be a rematch if that's what happens uh, from a game that was played earlier this season and the Music City Bowl probably not going to happen there. Uh, Belk Bowl, Virginia and South Carolina. That's in Charlotte. The Liberty Bowl, Baylor and Vanderbilt. Hope that they send the Commodores outside of the state of Tennessee. Uh, The Gator Bowl, Miami and Texas A&M. Kind of interesting matchup there. Uh, The Citrus Bowl, Penn State and Kentucky. The New Year Six games. uh, He has Ohio State and Washington in the Rose Bowl. Texas and Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. LSU and UCF in the Fiesta Bowl, which I imagine would be a pretty poorly attended game considering the travel for both of them and Mackenzie Milton being injured for UCF. And Florida and Michigan in the Peach Bowl, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Notre Dame are your four teams. But locally, Mississippi State would be in the Outback Bowl, which is a very good game, a prestigious game, but good Florida Bowl, and the most boring opponent ever, Northwestern.
0: And a team you played in the last, what, I guess six years to play them in 2000, at the end of the 2012 season, in one of MSU's four Gator Bowl appearances this decade. Um, obviously, the big news from Tuesday night, you know, with the, with the college football playoff rankings, LSU remained in the top 10. So that's why that window is still open for MSU to head to the outback bowl. If LSU had dropped out, everybody would be, be getting bumped down one. You'd have LSU at Citrus, Kentucky would probably be at outback, and then state because they can't, they're they not going to go to the Gator Bowl, is probably at Music City at that point. Um, but that window is now very much open. You said Northwestern. That would be a five-loss Northwestern team. Uh, that would be, what, seven? Uh, that would be, yeah, eight and five, I guess, at that point. State eight and four. Uh, I mean, it would be interesting to watch. Obviously, Moorhead, you would think, would have some knowledge of Northwestern, would have the... Uh, You know, some ideas and what Pat Fitzgerald wants to do defensively. But I think it's pretty obvious, especially from a, I guess, there's not a whole lot of national media attention on the Outback Bowl, I would imagine. But it is a good storyline if you can somehow match up Penn State and Mississippi State and you get more head against his former team. Yeah, that's
1: what I want. I think that's what everybody wants. That's what I want. Northwestern, I love Pat Fitzgerald. He runs an incredible program considering the limitations because they are in a state with no talent and it's a prestigious academic institution, which means you're not getting a lot of the best players in the country, and it's very cold, and the fan base isn't very big. Just a lot of disadvantages, runs a very good program, consistent winner. They are boring, so boring, that I, I, I just hope Mississippi State doesn't play in that game because it'll be hard to get excited for Northwestern.
0: It's going to be difficult because you know Penn State is the better, has the better record even though they're not going to win their division. So they're probably going to go to the Citrus Bowl. So if you don't move uh, Northwestern to Outback and you send them to Music City, well, they were at Music City last year. So you probably don't want to do that. So unless they decide to reward Northwestern for winning their division, the Big Ten, and they can convince the Citrus Bowl to take them, that's th- this is probably looking like the way it's going to end up. Yeah. Um, Give me storylines
1: yeah, because, I mean, I'm going to be out for a week getting married here soon, um, mm. but a combination of you and I and Richard and Rippy are going to have to talk about that game for a month, so I'd much rather have the good storyline than the boring one.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, no question about it. There's a lot more to talk about, and if you're a Mississippi State fan, this is going to sound a little weird, but I think you'd rather play Penn State because you have to think Moorhead's just going to walk into Coach Shoop's office and be like, all right, what do you need to know? And, and, you know, he's you know s- going to be an- enough similarity in the scheme and the formations and the personnel groupings that Moorhead would have that knowledge, and it should be able to go a long way for Mississippi State. But we'll see where it takes us. And, of course, like I said, it, it, you know, that's the one that's sort of interesting is at State the two bowls they're mentioned with are both Big Ten opponents. The Texas Bowl is sort of the, the odd man out. I've you, you seen some projections for MSU to go to the Texas Bowl. I don't, I don't see that happening, but you see TCU there. Um, what about – I've seen – People talk about playing NC State. Where is that coming from? The the the, the Music City Bowl, as you can see here on, on your rundown, it does have an ACC or Big Ten tie-in. It just depends on how. I'm not exactly sure how they make the decision there, but that's what they're talking about, that NC State could end up at the Music City Bowl playing Mississippi State. I, I, like I said, th- this projection here, Purdue versus Missouri, that's already happened this year, and bowls tend to try to go out of their way to prevent rematches. Uh, where where possible, so I don't see that happening, and I also agree with you, Vanderbilt really does deserve to go to a poll outside of the state of Tennessee, send them to the Belk Bowl, let them play Virginia, let South Carolina go to Music City, it's not that bad, Nashville isn't, you know, it's a great city, and and, and that's how you make that work, let Vanderbilt, for God's sakes, SEC, if you're listening, (laughs) if you're listening, please, I'm not even a Vanderbilt fan, I don't care about Vanderbilt. But they deserve to play outside of the state that they currently live in. Please do this. We beg of you. That is all. I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, it's just weird that I mean, when Franklin was there, they did Liberty and, and Music City twice, right? Right. And then M- Mason's one time, they went to the Independence Bowl, Right. Is that? Or they went to Birmingham? They went to the Independence the
1: Bowl and lost, I think, to
0: NC State. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So, just just send them. I don't know. So we'll all, we'll we'll know all the answers on uh, on Sunday. Everybody's very anxious about that. You know, if, I, if you watch that little clip I did with Morehead last night, he's he's ready to find out. You know who and and where they're they're headed. But it looks like the SEC is going to get. You know, outside of the playoff bowls, it's top three teams. Pitt, which are Kentucky MSU and Texas A&M are all going to get the reward of the Florida bowl game, which is, you know, that's nothing against the Liberty bowl, nothing against the belt bowl, fine cities, you know, great, great committees that they put on a good show, but you, you want to go to the beach. If you're a team, you want to, you want to have that day on the beach. So it looks like MSU is, has got a good chance, to get that, which I didn't think they had, did not think they were going to get there after LSU lost to Texas A&M. I thought that LSU might drop enough to, to push, push everybody down one, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be that way
1: and Derek Mason Vanderbilt would be the perfect place to run the triple option. Let's just pretend Derek Mason takes the Colorado job that, that there's of course loose word out there that he is a candidate. Vanderbilt is the perfect case study for running the triple option in the SEC because they will never have the athletes to really compete in the league. Never. It won't happen. The school they is too hard to, run to get something into
0: like that once. They tried to run that with Jerry DiNardo, and he ran the I-bone is what it was called. It was like a mixture of the eye, the power eye, and the wishbone. The problem is the plays were being called by Jerry DiNardo, and it didn't work out, believe it or not. Yeah, shocking. So, yes, but, but you're right. Vanderbilt is the kind of school where you have to do something differently or you're not going to win.
2: Yeah, Ken you know, Niamatololo offense at there. Vanderbilt
0: was, was innovative at the time, and he won. And he, I mean, he's one of the –
1: If you had to rank coaches, if your job came open, who you would want? I mean, you would want Saban, Dabo, Mm -hmm. and then who? I mean, maybe Chris Peterson at Washington, but... Franklin's in the mix. I don't know if you want Urban anymore with his supposed head stuff going on where he can't stand up on the sidelines anymore. So, I mean, Franklin's like a top five sought-after coach right now. No wonder he won at
0: Vanderbilt. But there's not many Franklins out there. The greatest compliment to James Franklin is that when he left Vanderbilt, it was like he was never there. They went right back to going two and 10. Now Mason's built them back up a little bit, but they haven't had the I mean he Franklin won nine games twice at Vanderbilt. Think about that statement, but that's, that's what I've always said about him is you know, he took over for Robbie Caldwell. they went two and 10. He has three good years. he leaves. they bring in Derek Mason his first year, they go two and 10. It's like they, it's like it never happened. That's how good he was. He was able to get in, yeah. get out, and get it done.
1: So call, if Derek Mason leaves, free,
0: free advice. I saw
1: one Vanderbilt fan a few oh. weeks ago in the line at Chick-fil-A, so I know one of you is out there. <laughs> call up the university and tell them that Ken Neomatololo, if you want to actually
0: be interesting at I'm Vanderbilt, no. that's a phone call you make. That, that's not who I would hire if I were who Vanderbilt. Who would you go after? You ready for this? Vanderbilt head football coach. Hugh Freeze. <laughs> that's who I'm calling.
1: Uh, I don't know if Sankey will allow that.
0: Well, I mean, you you going to make the call to the conference office to find out.
2: So we cheated.
1: I guess that's it for you, huh? Hey, Dad. That's it for me. That was a fast hour and a half. Glad to, glad you, you today, hung it, on for longer Wednesday, than usual right? with me today. Yeah, it is.
0: All right, so I'll talk to you for a little while tomorrow and then th- Friday down in Hattiesburg.
1: Sounds good, man. Thank you. Uh, Bye, buddy. Thanks for being a part. We will turn the page to Rippy because there was a press conference in Oxford yesterday that, on the surface, didn't say anything, but I kind of think it said a lot. So we'll dive into that next. We'll get into hoops, uh, college football playoff rankings, a whole lot more coming your way next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Wait a minute, you're not Hey Dad.
2: <laughs>
1: Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borke, and the other Brian. Brian Scott Rippey with you now on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank and you can text us 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line and all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. So yesterday, we were at the Country Club of Jackson for the Connerly Trophy presentation. Rippy, uh, if you listen to the show, was noticeably absent because there was a press conference in Oxford yesterday. There, there was no news as it pertains to maybe a staff change or anything like that, but I might be reading too far into it, but I think there was a lot of things that were said without actually saying them, so Rippey your overall take on on the entire thing and and what did Matt Luke say at all?
2: Well, I think it was the most I think by far the most emotion and and I guess fire and brimstone, if you will. He's shown in a in the public eye. Since uh, since he's kind of taken the full time reins of the program, you know, he kind of had the impassioned opening statement and then the message to the fan base and all of that. And, you know, I, I think some people thought that was lacking and some people had been kind of calling for that sort of energy and speaking with that sort of conviction, it seems like, amongst the fan base. So, I mean, it'll I mean, depending on. What they actually do and how they actually turn it around will decide whether all of that's hollow or not. But I thought it was, a, you know, if nothing else, a decent start. Because it, it, it seemed like to me his message on that was, I know it's been bad, and I, I, I guess I know it's been bad, but it seems like the cloud is behind us and, like, he's, like, using this as a jumping-off point. I don't know what you thought of it. Yeah,
1: there there was... There is a large portion of that fan base that I think no matter what Matt Luke said, even if it was, hey guys, I hired Brent Venables to be my defensive coordinator and Lane Kiffin to be my offensive coordinator, and we just signed 25 stars, we're going to hate it no matter what. Because I, I agree with you. I think even though it is just one step, and it's not fair to say this, but it's an empty promise as of right now because they haven't had a chance to fulfill it It was the appropriate message at the appropriate time. It was well said by Matt. It was well done. The passion was there, and you felt it. He's got to act on it, and things have to turn around and change very quickly. But if that's just the first step, it at least was one that went forward instead of backward.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I exactly. I mean, that. it, what else can you say? Because, like you said, it's, a, you know, the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet because you haven't, you haven't had time to fulfill it. And so, I, like, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good start. I honestly, I thought the more interesting one was when we kind of talked to Ross off to the side and he seemed, I don't know if like passive aggressive is the right term. I don't think that's the right term, but he was certainly seemed geared up for this call to the principal's office it's definitely more excited than i've ever been to go to a principal's office and i've been a <laughs> million times
1: i can't see you as a troublemaker in school
2: um you should talk to my teachers man i
1: feel like you were the guy that like you do with us is you always had the good one-liner
2: that created a, l- a love-hate relationship amongst my teachers, <laughs> I think.
1: <laughs> like, you didn't, you didn't
2: you weren't destructive or anything like that,
1: but you sat in the back, and when the teacher said something stupid, you had a, a perfect one-liner right back at her. I feel like that I, was how what got you in trouble. I pushed boundaries, we'll put
2: it that yeah, way. Yeah, see, that's,
1: that's perfect.
2: But, yeah, so, I mean, he, you know, he, he obviously, like, Ross wouldn't go into specifics of, like, like he got asked to couple, like I, at one point, you know, someone said, I'm assuming you're talking about, um, you know, the, the overall NCAA investigation, and the perceived role that Mississippi State played in or whatever. And he just kind of answered with you. See, you all see the same things I do. And what was interesting to me was he was asked if, you know, what was on his mind and in the, in the list of things he, he said he had kind of to go over. If that's the first time he conveyed it to Sankey and he very quickly said, no, not at all.
1: OK, so then what makes this time different? That That's the question. I, I, and I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot there because there is there is no answer to that because it, it's closed meetings behind closed doors that are not public. So we will never get the transcripts. But if, if the message has been conveyed to him before and nothing has happened to your satisfaction, why suddenly now is this going to be different?
2: You know, it's, I, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any different. I mean, nothing's going to change from this, right? I mean, I like in terms of, of what he has on his mind and how he thinks things have been handled, I mean, he can certainly state his case again. I don't think anything's going to change from that, but I think it's the idea and the illusion that he's giving the fan base that I guess he's kind of, they're finally fighting back because I think, and we talked about it on the show before, I, I think, I think people, I think people thought that the administration at Ole Miss didn't fight back you know, stand up for themselves or fight back enough until it was far too late. And so, you know. And now, now this
1: especially, I mean, it's, if this, the perception is all that matters because your fans and your donors, what they think is all that matters. And the perception is, like you said, that they didn't fight enough. And if you're yeah. going to fight now, it is entirely too late. Whether or it not is. you've been doing it the whole time or not, it, it that does not matter because the perception is that
2: you didn't not enough. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And I don't and that's the sense I guess I'm speaking of when I say it's not going to change anything, but this I guess it's it's the idea of, you know, them calling this. I mean, it, it seems ridiculously ironic that the SEC is surprised by what's gone down, you know, in the rivalry. Exactly. Which be, is just insane.
1: It's lip service is what it is. It's them pretending like they are surprised because they're not. But they have to pretend like they are to save face it's, it's all a, a pr thing for the league
2: right and no, my point and my point being with that is is you know that obviously the, you know most people's initial reactions to the meeting is is you know this is kind of ridiculous this is super ironic and it really kind of put you know i mean both athletic directors ross and cohen in a very weird spot from like a public relations standpoint so I think, I guess, the idea of Ross kind of saying, you know, we're excited for this meeting, I can't wait to kind of stand up for the school and the university at least puts him in a perceived position of strength like he's taking a strong stance on this particular thing. Obviously, from the old narrative of them waiting too late to fight back, that's not really going to change. But at least in this isolated moment, I think it makes him look stronger. And for whatever it's worth, my
1: opinion on this, when it happens, if if you really want to get your fan base back, be transparent about what is said and what is done at this meeting. Because everything has happened behind closed doors, and nobody really knows what's going on. Nobody knew. I mean, nobody knew, with the exception of a few people who tried to tell everyone that this was happening, but nobody knew that immunity interviews were going on. Nobody knew that. No, nobody knows anything. I mean, although Stephen Godfrey reported it, nobody knows what happened in Covington. At the, at the Committee on Infractions meeting. Nobody knows what Ole Miss is saying in, in defense of the school. So maybe now's the time to start telling people what you say and what you do. How do you do that? I have no way? idea without, yeah. without spiting the commissioner. But if you want to win your fan base back, that's how you do it. And you may not be able to do it. And that's the catch-22
2: in all this is th- the way to get them back may be not an option for you right and it, you know, you're right it's a catch 22 because you it's it's if you win it back and you do, you are completely transparent about what went down in the meeting and the logistics of that i am not really sure how you do that but you know if you're able to find a way to do that you're right you're kind of spiting the commissioner so it's 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 a weird place to be i i, I would describe it as i'm still just why
1: did you have to make this public if you're the sec why not just call them in I mean you mean how many conversations does the commissioner and the athletic directors
2: of the member institutions have? Well, I asked Ross yesterday like point blank I said is this is this something you've seen or been involved with before, you know, in your career and he said no I've, I've never really never really seen or been a part of this in my time in college athletics. Like, this doesn't – like, I get what you're saying, but like even if it – like, he made it sound like even meetings that aren't made public, like, this is not in any way close to, like, the norm.
1: Yeah, but even still, if you're the SEC and you really wanted to actually – do something constructive. Pissing both sides off on the way to the meeting is probably not the way to do it. Because I can't yeah, imagine—I I know Ole Miss obviously because Bjork uh, has spoken about it—was not happy. But I can't imagine John Cohen was really thrilled uh, about getting publicly called out like that uh, from the SEC office either.
2: No, that's what I said. Yeah, like I was saying a second ago, from both sides, it puts you in a very strange public relations standpoint. But you know, I guess another ironic level of this whole thing is you want to talk about acting too late. The SEC didn't do anything, and 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 now they're acting like surprised at the outcome, and I get they're probably not actually surprised, like you're saying, it's to save face, but I mean, you don't talk about acting too late, I mean, this is way, way too late. We'll continue on this in a second. Mike Leach
1: just tweeted that he is going to teach a class on leadership lessons in insurgent warfare and football strategy at Washington State. What is that middle part? Leadership lessons in insurgent warfare and football strategy. Wow. Guys, I might be applying to Washington State (laughs) and getting a graduate degree in whatever that is. Okay. I don't know what insurgent warfare is. There's only one way to find out. (laughs) More on that coming up. Uh, Phil Longo is interviewing for head coaching jobs. We'll give you the latest on that and what Matt Luke said about that yesterday. That's next. It's Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk. Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Jerry sends us a text, and you can do the same, 601-879-4395. That's 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. And it's really as simple as this. So We had uh, 10 minutes' worth of summary of this exact sentence. The right hires and Ole Miss will be better, but the wrong ones and Matt Luke may be gone. I think yesterday's message and press conference, he made it pretty clear that he understands that, right?
2: But is it that simple? I
1: mean, don't, I mean, let's let's face it. Even it's not with, a wins and losses thing. They can go it, five and seven again next year, and he keep his job and the fan base be happier, depending on how it
2: looks. No, it's it's a hundred percent an optics thing. But i meant from the standpoint that, I mean, it's an uphill battle. I don't think anybody would acknowledge that. So even if you make the right hires, is there any guarantee that's still going to tr- directly translate to success? So to, was it Jerry that texted to to his point? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly going to help, but I I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that direct. I I think obviously making, you know, I, I wrote about this after the egg bowl. I think it was probably a mistake to, for him to ride into this past season with freeze as coordinators. And I get with the first early signing period, it was kind of a feeling out process last year. And, you know, you want to have some stability and not ask both your coordinators from trying to salvage some sort of a recruiting class but that just nothing felt new about it and so you'll have the newness here but i felt like he's 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 lost a year of time i guess by just doing it now right and 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 i say coordinators only one is gone as of right now but it, it just feels like at least one of these moves should have happened in this time a year ago instead of it happening now
1: yeah and, and we can ask I don't think we'll ever get the answer of of why not uh, of why it, it took this offseason to make any kind of changes and make the program yours I don't know if we're ever going to really get an official answer on that but, regardless, but that's
2: exactly what this is exactly what you just said right like it's, it's putting your stamp on the program and making it yours not kind of the wreckage of Hugh Freeze right And they are trying to move on from
1: that, even though I imagine it's been pretty difficult. One of the coordinators is gone, and and they departed from him the day after the Egg Bowl. Replacements there. I've seen Mike McIntyre's name floated around a lot. We've already talked about Bateman at Army, but McIntyre's interesting to me because he's a guy that, one, he's done it before, and especially he's been a head coach before. And having that kind of experience, and I know he did get fired from Colorado, but he did... At one point, win ten games in a season there, and it's not an easy job to begin with. But he's got the, almost a decade's worth of head coaching experience, and that I think that's something that that program probably needs: is more experienced guys in the Manning Center uh, to help Matt Luke through this thing. And he would be a guy that has the experience and also the pedigree to do it.
2: Ten games at Colorado kind of fits into the a lot with a little narrative. that yes, we Kind of crafted but then the other side
1: of the ball. So there was word out there that uh, Phil Longo interviewed for the Texas State job that was given to Jake Spavitol of West Virginia earlier today, but he is not done interviewing. I want to ask you about Luke's response yesterday to that question of evaluating the offense, and Matt responded about the red zone struggles, saying, I know how to fix it, is what he said. He said, I know how to fix it. And we're always evaluating the offense, is what he said. Am I reading too far in between the lines to tell me that he wants to move a different direction offensively, and uh, he knows how to fix it because he is—he has an idea of who and what kind of offense he wants to run at that school, and they're not exactly fighting against the offensive coordinator situation right now.
2: I don't know if it's if it's necessarily of of him. A wants to move on thing. It, it may very well be he may, but it, it it's it sounds like he doesn't know what Longo's going to do. But he has an idea that he might go elsewhere. It it, it seemed yesterday. He seemed to, he honestly did not seem to know, and that's kind of what I gathered from that. So you know when he says I know what a good red zone offense looks like. I can fix this. I don't know how far you read in between the lines there, but that certainly sounds like someone in, in some way anticipates that there might be a move made you know, by Longo and, and him having to regroup. But And he is interviewing for jobs right now. I mean, yes, not at this is. very moment, but yeah, and, he's... And it, and there. him not getting the Texas State job by no means means that he will be back. Like that does not cement him coming back by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah, and if you coach a top ten statistical offense and take a junior college quarterback and have him throw for four thousand yards, you're probably going to get some looks.
2: Yeah, I mean, red zone struggles aside. I mean, you're right. I mean, he he put up a lot of yards, a lot of points, and they move the ball at a rapid pace and you know, he's he needs to change something philosophy-wise from when his teams get in the red zone, but I feel like out of everything else, that's probably a a fixable or changeable approach. Easier than some other
1: things. In 30 seconds, Nick on the Twitter feed asks, why didn't he fix it during the season? The answer is recruiting, right? Offensive red zone? Oh, my first thought was defense. Yeah, offensive red zone, you got 20 seconds to answer.
2: (laughs) Why didn't he fix it in the season? I'll go very short. I don't know.
1: that's where I think schematically he wants to do something different, but you can't change the scheme during the season. But that is us reading too far uh, into something, and uh, I guess that's what our job is. More coming up, Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 5 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. Richard's off just for the day. He will be back with us tomorrow. He's calling Monmouth and Kentucky basketball on TV tonight in Lexington.
2: Should be up. Does Monmouth, Monmouth still do the bench thing? Oh, yeah,
1: about? where they do all those crazy dances and stuff.
2: Yeah. I
1: didn't realize that was them. I guess so, though. I guess we'll have to find out watching Richard on TV. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. And if you want to text the show, you can 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. And all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. So we're going to get to the college football playoff rankings. They they tell you a lot that were released last night. But this came out today. And if you've listened to the show long enough, you've heard me say repeatedly that the worst venue in the United States of America – to watch a sporting event of any kind is the Oakland Coliseum. It is the worst of venue in the United States to watch a sporting event. Worse than Legion Field in Birmingham. I've been to both, trust me. They've decided to build a new stadium in Oakland. It won't be ready for a long, long time, but the renderings were released today. If you're familiar with the Bay Area, uh, it'll be on the water at Howard Terminal, which is kind of a, a dead um, shipping port, obviously, dead enough to where they could build a stadium there. But this is the most California thing I've ever heard in my life. The plan will... Just this one line. The plan will also turn the Coliseum site into a tech and housing hub. If you look at the renderings, it looks like the hole from one of the Lord of the Rings movies that the Hobbits lived in. The entire top of the stadium is like this weird grass and tree park-looking thing that goes all the way around the top of the stadium... And it angles down and meets behind the center field wall. and there are apartment buildings with like trees on top of them that they're gonna build around this thing.
2: What's the purpose of this? The new ballpark. but like the
1: the the part you were discussing. oh, I've no because it's California. and if they're gonna build a big stadium, they have to put fruit fruit trees around, I guess. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it looks, it looks awful. Everybody's, I mean, the reaction online is, oh, wow, it's amazing. No, it's not. It looks stupid. It looks like a hobbit hole. Build a baseball stadium. You don't have to build a tech hub with the baseball stadium. I mean, if you got to get the nerds that work at Twitter to to get out to your ballpark, find a way, but putting grass on top of your stadium with little trees and weird looking apartments that are going to be $9,000 a month for a 400-square-foot, one-bedroom loft, don't do it at the baseball field.
2: Are you saying nerds are attracted to trees and grass?
1: No, I'm saying they're building trees and grass to give the nerds, when they're away from their computers, for one 10-minute break of their 24-hour day behind them, they like to go sit in a park and eat their turkey
2: wrap. So I've got this pulled up now, I mean, yeah, I, without the weird tree thing, it looks like a nice ballpark setup. But they've
1: got that stupid tree line thing around it. It's on top of it. It's not around it. It is, it is literally on top of the thing. I it's guess like
2: you could, po- you could poison them.
1: <laughs> Get Harvey Updike on it ASAP. It's like those things they're doing with overpasses. Uh, they're... The bridges on highways in major cities are, are being made into parks on top of them. so they're, they're building like the, these highways that go through major cities. Think Atlanta, for example, i-85 that goes right through Atlanta. there's ideas to put like these these tops on the highways that go through cities and make them parks, just a long park that guts through the city with the, the highway underneath it. That's what this looks like to me.
2: Yeah, it doesn't. I just don't understand. I don't get the the purpose because you would think something like that would just be to add some kind of visual touch to it, but it doesn't look very good. Sean and Grenada says trees and grass would be hippies.
1: I mean, I, I like trees and grass. I like I like being outside. I'm just saying that if you really have to build that to get people to go to your baseball park, maybe you should just move to Las Vegas too.
2: And Gary Meridian
1: says tofu wraps. I've had tofu before. It is just horrendous.
2: Oh, I've probably never had it, probably never eating tofu. I don't even really know what tofu is.
1: It's nothing. I don't think anybody knows what it is. I mean, the the one I've had, I I did it, like, just because I was curious. It it was a, a chicken substitute, but it was cut in a rectangle. And so it's supposed to taste like chicken, right? And they had, like, spices on it and stuff. It's just the same. No, it was like eating a hot sponge. <laughs> but it was softer. Like, like take a sponge that's really wet and imagine what it would be like to bite into it. That's what eating tofu was like for me. Why'd you do that? I was curious. I, I don't know. I just had to one time. I was really fat at the time, too. I mean, I was pushing three bills, so I, I wanted to see if I you know, could adopt something that wouldn't be horrible to try to get all that weight off, and
2: I couldn't even suffer through that. So the ballpark food at this place, like, if you're going to have, like, a tree forest park thing on the top of your stadium, like, it's pretty much a big old sign that says we have vegan food here, right? Yeah.
1: They're going to have, have like, avocado, ahi, tuna nachos. But the nachos aren't going to be regular nachos. They're going to be, like, Fried seagrass,
2: From but not the top fried. of the stadium.
1: Yeah, that that they grow, <laughs> that they grow <laughs> on the stadium. That's gonna be the pitch. Come to Oakland A's games. We are straight farm to table, and by farm,
2: we're talking the one right above your head. Man, what a time to be alive! I hope this is not like, like, <laughs> like trend setting for future stadium building. <laughs> I
1: mean, could you imagine? Mississippi State just built a, a brand-new, beautiful baseball stadium. The completed version will be ready this spring. Could you imagine if they had, on top of the new dude, a grass pasture where hippies could sit up there and play their bongo drums and play hacky sack and not watch baseball at all?
2: <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> I don't understand, I don't understand what you're trying to do with this. It just doesn't make any
1: sense. And the thing is, like, it, that, that could be a good sports area. But when you do crap like that, I mean, at least you could bring your dog. Like, you could have every game could be bring your dog to the field game. <laughs>
2: yeah that's true but I I just I mean I I get like some of these spring training places right in Arizona and in Florida they have like burns where it's just like a you know little league size looking fence and people sit on the grass out there but that looks entirely different than this this looks like you're way up in the air yeah and I mean I don't know if you could fit a panic show up there (laughs) I know where Bill Walton's sitting if he comes to one of these things (laughs) oh man I'm sorry, I had to bring that up. That's
1: just... That is the most California... And I love California. I love the Bay Area. I went over, I guess, a year and a half ago now almost when I proposed to my fiancé. I mean, we did it. I did it in the Bay Area. Beautiful part of the country. Awesome weather. Everything's great. But those people are insufferable because of stuff like that. Yeah. A technology hub is being built inside of the baseball park. And I'm not talking like places to charge your phone or really cool, like interactive game technology. No, no, no. This is like where they're going to have offices for tech startups. The new app that matches people who like certain kinds of Italian food or something that lasts six months and loses its startup money and everybody drives for Uber after that. I don't know.
2: I'm all out of takes on this.
1: No, in California, Jared from Perk says, Trees are no stadium. And Derek in Greenwood <laughs> gives me props for the uh, widespread panic <laughs> reference. Yeah, that's their, that's their target demo that'll be going to A's games when that stadium gets built. Um... We'll start this and get it and get into it more after the break. The college football playoff rankings are out and I think this tells you a lot. Alabama 1 easy, Clemson 2 easy, Notre Dame 3 easy, Georgia number 4. That tells me two things. If Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC Championship game, Alabama's making the college football playoff. And then right behind them at 5 is Oklahoma. If Oklahoma wins the Big 12, Georgia loses the SEC, there's your top four. Ohio State is not making it. They come in at number 6, Michigan 7, UCF 8, Florida 9, LSU 10. We'll talk about that a little bit more next uh, and what that means. And then there was talk, and then there wasn't talk, and then there was more talk about who would be the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Has a Mississippi tie. We'll tell you about that, what that could mean if it's possible and do a little NFL chatter as well because the playoffs are just a few weeks away and the uh, division races are heating up. All of that coming your way. It's Sports Talk. Michael Borky and Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk, we will continue looking at these college football playoff rankings. We debated a little bit yesterday and... And the consensus, I think, was that Oklahoma was going to make it. But I think you can make a better case for Ohio State. I mean, their win's better. Oklahoma played just as many close games to lesser opponents than Ohio State did. But regardless, the college football playoff, I think, tipped their hand last night. So, as a refresher, Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Georgia 4, Oklahoma 5, Ohio State 6. Michigan at 7, I think, is out no matter what. So, those six teams vying for four spots. Rippy, did
2: you read into it the exact same way I did? Kind of, but I, if Georgia was five and beat Alabama, don't you still think Alabama was getting in? Probably so,
1: but I, I think this just guaranteed that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. What is going to be interesting to me is, you know, if Georgia loses, which. I think they'll give them all they can handle for a bit, but I think most people expect that. To me, it sets up a scenario to where I think Texas is – I mean, Texas and Oklahoma are probably going to play another close game, I would think. Yeah, I may be completely wrong on that. But isn't this setting up to where Ohio State beats Northwestern by 25, 30 points, and then you just have a big shouting match about five and six once Georgia loses? That's what's going to happen.
1: Because yeah, so everything's going to come to chalk. Alabama's going to beat Georgia. I expect it to be kind of a close game. Clemson's going to beat the breaks off of Pittsburgh. They're a 26-point favorite. Notre Dame's done. They're in the playoff. They're undefeated. Their season's over. Oklahoma beating Texas? I mean, Texas beat them earlier this year, but they're a touchdown favorite. I think they get it done this time. And Ohio State, like you said, plays Northwestern. All of them, except for Georgia, is going to win. So you're going to have five teams for four spots because Georgia with the loss will be out or are they though are they going to be out if it's a close game if they lose to Alabama like you said if it's a close game and they lose by one are they out for sure
2: I just don't see how (sighs) they probably shouldn't be but I don't see how they stay in because unless you want to move Georgia up to a three seed and a loss you're going to set up a rematch Two weeks later. Or not not two weeks, I guess. Whenever it is. But do like, you see them setting up a rematch? No, but... But should Georgia be out?
1: Mm. See, I wouldn't think so. I If you look at Georgia and Oklahoma and Ohio State, even with two losses which may come, are you really going to put Georgia behind Oklahoma who plays, I mean, just pathetic defense. They beat West Virginia last week. They beat West Virginia. A really good win. Will Greer threw for almost 600 yards in that game. They should have lost to Texas Tech. They should have lost to TCU. They really struggled with Oklahoma State. Their defense is getting scored on by literally everybody. Army took them to overtime overtime. Are you really putting that team regardless of how explosive their offense is ahead of Georgia who went to LSU and got beat and then took Alabama to the wire if that's how it happens? Are you really doing that? You're not doing that with Ohio State. They got smoked by Purdue. In that scenario, there's no way they jump Georgia. But are you really doing that
2: with Oklahoma? You think a you don't think a one-loss Ohio State is jumping a two-loss Georgia? I th- I don't
1: know this for sure because I'm not in the room, but I have a feeling with the Urban Meyer situation that the committee will look for a reason to keep them out. And the loss to Purdue and the fashion in which they lost to Purdue is plenty to do
2: so. So what's the best scenario for the committee? Is it just Georgia beating Alabama and them not having to move anyone else up?
1: That, for them, that's the best-case scenario because all the noise gets gets shut out. Ohio State and Oklahoma would have no claim. But if Alabama beats Georgia, it's chaos. Because you're going to have two power programs, major power programs, that won their conference and are going to be left out. You, I mean, you're going to have two... Power 5 conference champions with one loss getting left out of the college football playoff?
2: Two, I don't know if it's... And those are last two big-name brands, too. And Last year it wasn't the case with two one-loss teams, but you're still shutting out two Power 5 conferences out of the playoff for the second year in a row. Yep. I, I think... This
1: is what it's going to take. I think most everybody wants eight teams. I don't know if it's exactly necessary because I don't – I mean, if you really look at these teams, I think outside of the top three, the other ones all have flaws in their resume. Alabama's flawless. Clemson, flawless. Notre Dame, flawless. We don't need more than those three. But Ohio State has a disgusting loss to Purdue. Georgia got absolutely smoked by LSU. I know it was in Baton Rouge, but they weren't it wasn't competitive. Oklahoma has given up yards to everybody and they did lose to Texas, which isn't a bad loss, but they still lost to Texas. Those resumes are all flawed. The top 3 though, they aren't flawed. We don't need eight. But this if this plays out exactly this way will create a movement for eight. The Big 10 and the Big 12 are not going to stand for this anymore.
2: Yeah, because the Big 12's whole thing is they needed to get a conference title game to help their case, and that hasn't really helped them at all. Like, it seemed like, weren't they told? I mean, they were essentially told, right, get a conference title game to help out your chances, and then it hasn't helped them in the slightest? Gary Meridian
1: says he believes they put Ohio State at 6 and Georgia at 4 because they love Ohio State. Oklahoma will have to beat Texas by 50 to get in. I promise with their defense that's not happening. Caleb and Starflew, our buddy Caleb, a dedicated listener, and and we appreciated him for that, always uh, has insightful commentary when he texts in, says, If Bama wins, Oklahoma's in with a win. No contest. Oklahoma would be avenging their prior loss. And I think that's what the committee's telling us here. I do think that Ohio State's case is, I mean, just as good. Look at what they just did to Michigan, who had the best defense in college football. They put up over sixty points and it could have been seventy or eighty. They were so much more athletic than the number one defense in the country. Dominated the number one defense in the country. So And it's a name brand who's won a title in the playoff era.
2: Yeah, so I think the most likely scenario with that is them beating the breaks off of Northwestern, and then you have you know, a gigantic argument is that you've had seemingly like what three out of the four years or whatever it's been. Mm-hmm.
1: And Robert in Oak Grove says, "Poor UCF." Yeah, I don't mean to make light out of out of an injury, but ever since Mackenzie Milton went down, the the momentum for UCF getting a deserved shot, I think, goes away because they are not going to be the same team without him. And all news on the injury front for him is good. He's got a long road to recovery, but they won't be the same team without him. I don't mean to minimalize the injury, but they won't.
2: Could they beat LSU and whatever access bowl they go to with a backup quarterback? How interested is LSU?
1: Because if you're going to LSU
2: Auburn, Probably was last so. year right? Because Auburn didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. Um.
1: That game would likely be the Fiesta Bowl. By the way, I I missed this, so I'm going to get to it right now real quick. We got a text asking about uh, Mississippi State Bowl projections. Um, They are, at least according to Brett McMurphy, who's pretty locked in on this kind of thing, uh, they are projected to go to the Outback Bowl and play Northwestern. I've seen other projections that have linked them to the Music City Bowl in Nashville playing NC State. I've seen other projections that uh, have them actually against Joe Moorhead's previous stop, and and playing Penn State but I think McMurphy as far as the bowl games and selection is the most well connected guy so far um, so that one is pretty solid and he's got them going to the Outback Bowl and playing Northwestern which I don't know about you Rippy but I would much rather them go anywhere else and play Penn State than go to the Outback Bowl and play Northwestern just from a storyline and interest standpoint.
2: Yeah I agree Northwestern is boring very good program with Like you said, I think earlier in the show, with a lot of limitations, but still boring.
1: And on the Big Ten front, this news just broke. Jeff Brom was the leading candidate at Louisville and was offered the job, but he has turned it down. He's going to stay at Purdue. Uh, He had an offer to take over at Louisville, which, by the way, is where he went to school. Louisville is his alma mater, but he put out a release, and he's staying at Purdue. He's going to turn down the alma mater and continue coaching
2: in the Big Ten. Tough day for Dan Dockich.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? A month ago.
2: Yeah, it was almost a month, I think.
1: A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.